Well, hello everyone, how are you? It's great to be with you. My name is Toby. I'm one of the pastors, and whether you're joining us at one of our campus locations or whether you're watching along with hundreds of others around the country, we're really, really glad that you're with us. You've come at a great time. Uh, this is the second week of the new year, and uh, for us, and the second week of the new year uh, is a huge weekend because we begin a teaching time that really is going to last all throughout 2019. And so I take the second weekend to kind of set up the year teaching-wise. But before I do that, I need to tell you a little bit about what happened last week at Cross Timbers for those of you who haven't been to church all year. So let me just tell you about it. Think about it for a moment. Is Our, our theme for the year, as you just saw in the video, is the word better. It comes out of Jesus' promise in John's gospel, John chapter 16, when he says this. I'll say it to you again. It's better for you if I go away. If I leave, if I don't leave, the friend won't come. But if I go, I'll send him to you, which sounds really cool when you read the Bible. It sounds really weird in regular life, doesn't it? To have somebody say, hey, I'm about to die, but not you'll get through it or not. uh, It's going to be okay, but actually to say that it's better. And so we said that our word for the year was better, that We believe that in 2019 that God can teach us how to live out Jesus' promise of a better life. Now, when I say better, I don't mean you're going to get a nicer car. You might, but I'm not promising you that. I'm not telling you that all your relationships are get fixed or that you're going to get the right six numbers on a Wednesday or Saturday night in the state of Texas. I'm not not saying that's going to happen, although if you do, I need you to tithe. Come on, somebody. First fruits. (laughs) What I'm saying is it is possible that no matter what you face this year, that you might experience the person, not the concept, but the person of the Holy Spirit in your life that will give you something you could have never experienced on your own. And we kind of wrapped up this time together last weekend with the question I think everyone would be asking, which is this, well, what does a better life look like? So I'm excited this weekend to begin a 30-plus week journey together of just telling you one of the greatest stories that's ever been told. And who loves a good story? 2013, a little company that had, like most little companies, began in someone's garage but got on the radar. It was a company called Netflix. They came out I know some of you will have a hard time understanding this, but there's some of us who used to put these little plastic discs in a thing called a DVD player. Some of us even used big wide tapes. Remember those days? But they would just mail DVDs, and you could rent movies, and they would mail them to your home, and you wouldn't mail them back. The company has grown its stock prices, increased over 370%. And the reason is because Netflix discovered that they weren't in the movie delivery business. They were in the storytelling business. Because everyone loves a good story. And the book of Acts is the inspired word of God. But look at me. At its core, it's a story. Now like every good story, whether your favorite is Riverdale or whether your favorite is Parenthood, whatever your favorite story is, there's got to be kind of some foundational information before you truly begin to understand what's going on, right? And so we're going to spend some time 
this weekend, kind of setting the stage for the story. But I need you to understand that the story that is told in in the book of Acts is a story that begins long before the book of Acts was penned. Let me read you a section of scripture, and then I'm going to do something. I don't know if I've ever done it here, but I'm just going to take just the way I personally study the Bible, especially stories, and I'm going to put it on the board, and I'm just going to show you some notes that I've taken. We're going to kind of ramble our way through it because stories don't always have a linear beginning and ending, right? So let me read it to you, and then we'll, we'll work our way through it together this weekend. Acts chapter 1, the story begins like this. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God on one occasion when he was eating with them He gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, it's not for you to know. The times or dates that my father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Let's pray together. Lord, we believe that at its core, these words are directly from your heart. We believe that your Holy Spirit worked through the pen of this man to record this story in a specific way so that there might be some truth that could be applied to our lives. We're not here for information. We're not here to parse Greek language and to study Sentence format, we're here to receive your story so that your story might become our story. So, Holy Spirit, we invite you into the heart of everyone who believes that Jesus is who he said he is and that he did what he said he was going to do in our hearts that we might get a clear word from you about how to live tomorrow. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I've got to tell you, I'm not a great Netflix show. I can never write a Stranger Things. I never have that kind of creative thing. And so I'm going to break all of the rules and tell you that I have an ulterior motive beyond you learning how to live a better life this year. And it's for you to get some more confidence about reading the Bible for yourself. Uh, I think many of you, many of us, shy away from reading Scripture because... For us, it seems difficult to understand, and so we just close the book and wait for some 140-character thing to come across our Twitter feed, and we believe that we're wondering why our lives aren't being changed. I told you last weekend that foundationally, to have the Spirit move and to work and apply God's truth in your life, you have to understand what God's truth is, and I don't think it's as hard as most of us think it is. 
the only way I know to teach you is to show you the way that when I sit down, not for a series, not for teaching you, but for my own personal time, my own personal study time, how I take sections of Scripture and begin the process of letting God begin to speak into my life. Uh, like any good story, there has to be some setup, there has to be some details, and I'm not here simply to teach you. My ultimate goal is to equip you to be able to grow yourself. And so, with that being said, and because we only have 20 or something, 28 minutes left, I can't take you verse by verse, but I can take parts of this section of Scripture. I can show you some ways that you can begin to break down Scripture, and then I can show you what I think the big ideas are that you can walk away with this day that could change your tomorrows. Does that sound like a good deal to everybody? So let's just begin at the beginning. In the very first verse, when he says, In my former book, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And as I look at these words, who I believe were penned by the same Holy Spirit that lives inside of me, the same power that conquered the grave lives in me. As I begin to read these words and the way that they're put together, there's a couple of things I need to understand. Number one, I need to understand who wrote it. I need to understand who he was writing to. Does that make sense to everybody? I need, I need the sub, subtitles if I don't speak the language. And the first thing that sticks out to me in this is that it says, in my former book, at the top of my notes, I would say, well, this is a sequel to something. This isn't the first book because he says, as he addresses it, it's in my former book. And I've got to wonder, well, what is the former book? I don't know about you, but I can't watch season two in Parenthood until I've watched season one. It just doesn't make sense to me. Anybody with me? The reason I don't watch Star Wars, I've said this before, is I missed the first seven. I don't have the time or the inclination to watch the first seven to understand number eight. Okay? And God bless those of you who do. We can all go to heaven and you can tell me all about it. But until we get there, I don't want to hear about it anymore. I just don't, I just, it, again, it's, there's nothing wrong with that. I just didn't ever catch up. And when you understand, well, you can't understand what's happening in episode seven if you never saw episode six. I don't know enough to even throw out any titles to impress you nerds that like that stuff. <laughs> but he says it's a former, but it's a sequel. And I have to ask myself, well, what was the book number one? Well, the next clue is who it's written to. It's written to a person named Theophilus. Turn to your neighbor and say, Theophilus. Isn't that fun to say? I mean, there's no point other than it's fun to say. And he says in my former book to Theopolis, I wrote about, and he begins to talk about Jesus. And so I'm going to go back to, there's four books in the New Testament that tell the story of Jesus. They're called the Gospels. You don't have to, you, you may have not cracked open a Bible since you were a wee little person in Sunday school, and you probably know the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's only four books I got to look at to find out where can I find the name Theophilus, right? Everybody with me? Yes, and so I discover that Luke, the third book of the New Testament, the third gospel, it says that the book, he begins it with, I'm giving you an orderly account, Theophilus, of all that Jesus is about to do and teach. And so I know, and I can write up in the margin, well, I know that Luke, I know that Luke wrote it, and so I need to go, I know that you, Luke has a unique perspective in the way he sees the world, Right? So the stories that he's going to record are going to reflect the things that he sees are important. So to understand what Luke is trying to do in the book of Acts, I need to go read the book of Luke. So that's your first homework assignment. Go take a message version of the Bible. It's easy to read. If you're not a huge reader, put it in your car. 
they got mobile, you know, they got audio versions. I don't care what it is, but just find some time to go read the book of Luke. He's, it's, it's like part, it's season one of parenthood. You can't watch season two until you watch season one. Everybody with me? And he says, in that first book, in the book of Luke, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And I'm about ready to go on from there. But then I see a word that doesn't seem to make sense to me in the, in the first sentence. Does anybody know what it is? It's what Jesus began to do. See, I know enough about the Bible to know that Jesus' earthly ministry was three years. To know that he was crucified on a cross he was resurrected i know that i'm about to read that he is going to ascend luke's going to tell us back into heaven and i know that the bible says that jesus is now sitting at the right hand of god and everything that needs to be done for the assurance of my eternity with him has been done there's nothing else to be done and i find out that luke wants me to know that the book of acts is not a story about what jesus did but it's what he's still doing This isn't a story about you being saved for heaven. It's, about, it's a story about how you live a better life here on earth. It's not history about what Jesus did. It's a story about how Jesus is beginning to work. And we'll see over the next few weeks that Luke is very carefully writing in a way. This is, I mean... Can I Bible nerd out for a moment to you? When you get to the end of the book, it ends as weird as it starts. Because it's open-ended at the end. And you begin to see in Luke's, the way he chose to write it, he's inviting you and me into the story. This isn't a story of what Jesus did. It's a story about Jesus wants to do in your life. And the story continues in us. Now, like any great storyteller, Luke is going to decide that he's going to begin to tell everyone what happens before the preparation for this better life. And so he says this. He says he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Now, those of you who were with us last year, either in person or watching with us around the country know that there's something significant about 40 days and it would be the first thing I would see in a part of it because I just spent a year studying about 40 days. But see, if I was living in the days of Theophilus, I would be a Jew who would understand that there is spiritual significance to the number 40. It's used over and over again in the Bible. And I, I wouldn't need a seminary degree. I wouldn't have to take an online class. I could just go... Google 40 days in the Bible and in my browser and what I'd find out is that the rain fell for 40 days and 40 nights before Noah's flood, that Moses spent 40 days in God's presence at Mount Sinai, that Joshua warned Nineveh of the coming judgment. It was going to happen in 40 days, that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days and now he appears at the resurrection for 40 days. And I would begin to understand what the Jews who are reading this story understood. That when you see the word 40 in the Bible, get ready because God's about to do something significant. It's like, it's like God's exclamation point. It's going to happen in 40 days. And if Jesus knows that he's only got 40 days left and he's getting his disciples ready for a better life, it's going to be pretty important about what he talks to them about, wouldn't you think? What happens in that 40 days? 
In fact, if you were watching this on one of your favorite streaming services and they just kind of faded out, it would frustrate you a bit that you get, didn't get the details about what happened in those 40 days. Like, I want to know everything that was said. Luke just wants to make sure that we understand that what was said is everything Jesus taught them was about God's kingdom, the kingdom of God. See, when you start this week using your audio version of the Bible or taking some time in the morning or at your lunch hour to read the book of Luke, what you're going to begin to see is, is that one of the central teachings of Jesus that Luke wants you to understand is that the kingdom of heaven is very near. That the kingdom of heaven is not about heaven. The kingdom of heaven that he says is literally translated within your reach is the rule and reign of God on this planet making all things new. How many of you ever felt like when you prayed your prayers never got past the ceiling? It's because you have a distorted view of what the kingdom of God is. Heaven is not there. Heaven is within your reach. And all of those parables that kind of frustrated you in Sunday school, when he says the kingdom of God is like, and he starts telling these whack stories that you're going, what are you talking about? Jesus explained all these parables to them. They had grown up believing that the Messiah was going to be like David. You remember the story of David? In fact, if you read all the prophecies about the coming Messiah in the Old Testament, if you're really Bible nerd out, you can't blame them for thinking that. All of the imagery is about one king who rules one nation, and all the nations now become under that one nation. When he says, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? What they're saying is they have a view of the kingdom of God being a physical reign on earth with Jesus being the next David. And just like Jesus told them, you're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to lose yourself. Jesus now tells them, you're going to have to like change your view of what me being king is really going to be. It's not going to be a governmental agency and you're not going to take up a sword. You're not going to beat anyone into submission. I'm a benevolent king. You're going to love people into my kingdom. And he begins to teach them these things. And the 40 days is leading up to these great 40 days where he begins to teach them that the kingdom of God is near. And then he says this to them. Now, I don't know if you're a Bible highlighter. I mean, some of us still use paper Bibles where you have these yellow highlighters, markers, and we mark things like you do in your college or high school classes. Now, most people, I still can't figure out how to do it on an iPhone. I have to get my kids to help me. I don't know if it's tap or is it touch, but, you know, you hit it and it highlights. If you were a highlighter, however you do it, it's Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. This is the theme of the entire book. If you're watching whatever your favorite Netflix, Amazon Prime, even network show is, there's one central theme that runs all the way through the story. Everything builds around that one central theme, right? Well, here's the one central theme of this story that we're going to take this journey on for 32 plus weeks this year. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria until the very ends of the earth. He says that you're going to receive power. But he tells them the verse before that, I'm going to need you to wait for it. 
I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to need you to wait for it. Wait for it. And what you're waiting for is you're waiting for power. You're waiting for power. This word in the Greek language is the word, and I know I'm nerding out a little bit. Stay with me. It's the word. Can you read that? Dynamis is how you spell it in Greek. Guess where, what word we get from dynamis? Dynamite. You're going to receive dynamite. Spiritual dynamite. When the Holy Spirit, now don't miss it, when the Holy Spirit comes, everybody say it, on you. If you were with us last weekend, go back and listen or watch the message. Because the promise of Jesus is that there's a Holy Spirit that's going to come and live inside of you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's going to live in you. The Holy Spirit is going to walk beside you. He is the paraclete. He's the helper that comes beside you, the Bible says. But there's going to be moments when the Holy Spirit comes on you. It is possible to be going to heaven to live in in the reality of the person of the Holy Spirit and never experience the power, the dynamic, dynamite power of the Holy Spirit coming on you. Is that enough to get you back next week? What does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? What does it mean? What is the difference between the Holy Spirit living in you and the Holy Spirit coming on you? I'm going I'm I'm to show you that because they're, they're about to see it. If you'll wait for the gift, he says, there's a moment coming the Holy Spirit is going to come on you. And again, this isn't their story. It's our story. And you're going to receive dynamite-like power. Anybody in on some power? But what's he going to give them the power for? To be witnesses. Witnesses of what? Well, before I get to the what, we got to talk about the who. What, what's a witness? And see, if I just Googled in my browser, again, with no theology degree, Life and times of Jesus, and begin to search through some of those links. I could read history and find out that in the days of Theophilus, every time that there was a new king, that the first thing that kid king did was he sent out heralds, and they went to all the provinces, and they sent what was good news. We have a new king. It was always good news, because kingly rule is better than chaos. And the word, same word used for these heralds that are going to go out to all of these areas. Guess what that word is translated here? Witnesses. In other words, look at me. I don't need you to do anything. I just need you to tell people what I have done. That there is a new king. Using your personality... Your Enneagram number, if that's what you're hip and into right now. You're, again, God doesn't want to change your personality. He doesn't want to turn you into some Bible-banging weirdo that listens to KLTY all day, every day, and puts a fish on the back of your car. If you do those things, keep your emails to yourself, that's great. I'm, God bless you. But it, there's some men in, that are listening to me right now going, really, i got to turn into that guy? You No, God wants to make you the very first version of you. He do not want to turn you into some... What you would consider some weirdo, he wants to make you the very best. He wants to transform your character because he wants you to be a witness. Why? Because if God lives in you, you were created that the 
circle of your life becomes better because you live in it. I said it last weekend, it bears repeating, this weekend you were created not to be a thermometer but to be a thermostat. The place where you work, the school that you go to, the dormitory that you live in, the street that you live on ought to be different because you live on it. Because the same person that lived in the disciples lives in you. You're just called to be a witness. Not to declare what someone ought to do, but to declare what Jesus Christ has done. Now, here's the crazy part of it that I think most of us in America have never thought about. But the radical statement is not that I've called you to be a witness. The radical statement is where I called you to be a witness. Do you see it? Jerusalem is good. That's where all the holy people live. Judea is kind of iffy because there's a few, you know, there's Jews in that region, but it's not a fully Jewish reason it's outside of our comfort zone it's outside of our city but Samaria I'm calling you to change the spiritual temperature in Jerusalem Judea Samaria and then thank God he said and to the ends of the earth do you know that we were God's first mission field when he says the ends of the earth that's us if this commission would not have been given to those disciples in that moment we'd have never heard the gospel it would have stayed in Judea it would have stayed in what we know now as the nation of Israel. This is why I always laugh when people ask me, why are you involved in missions? We have enough problems around here. Thank God that's not how God felt about us. <laughs> we, are, we were his first mission field. So the call is to be a witness in the place that you live that will reverberate out into the region into which you live, that will reverberate out that at some point in time, what you do will make a difference in the life of someone that you will never meet. You're called to be a witness. It's why he gives you power. See, I think the problem with the Holy Spirit, I'm just go off for a second because it's free. Uh, it's like there's two problems in the church with the Holy Spirit. And I'll come back to this, but let me just set it up this first weekend. Two problems with the Holy Spirit. One is, is we treat him like he's the weird uncle. Like he's there, but nobody wants to have anything to do with him. Right? But the other part is that we elevate him to like he's the varsity of the Trinity and everybody else is JV. Right? And so it's all about, listen to me. The Bible clearly teaches that the ultimate work of the Holy Spirit is to point people to the person of Jesus Christ. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The three are one and the one are, the, the three are, are all one entity. They are separate in function, but they are one in personhood. But somewhere along the way, like the Holy Spirit people, of which I am one of those, I, I'm, a, like, I'm, I'm a charismatic that came out of the closet many years ago, right? So I'm one of you charismatics. But somewhere along the way that we thought that, that we believed the first part of this, that we're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us, but we thought it was for us. Let's just get together and have a Holy Spirit a rodeo and see how weird we can be with a bunch of other people who are chasing the Holy Spirit. No. When the Holy Spirit comes, yeah, all of the gifts are available today. We're going to talk about it. Miracles 
are in the book of Acts. Miracles still happen, but miracles have never been the point. The point is Jesus. The point is people receiving the transforming gift of the reality of the kingdom of God near through the person of Jesus Christ. It's not so we can get together and have a quiver in our liver and talk up, you know, and boy, wow, the Holy Spirit really touched me. Well, great. How has that touch from the Holy Spirit been used in your life to be a witness to somebody else? Right? So, I mean, I'm, I'm, we're, gonna, we're not gonna, we're not gonna like skip any of it. it. It's all out there. I think it's all still possible today. I'm not trust. I'm not chasing an experience. I'm chasing a person. That magnifies Jesus. So I thought one of the greatest things I could do is in the commercial break of our 32-week Netflix show called The Book of Acts. That I could take a few weeks of this series and just give you real-life examples of what witnesses look like. Honestly, for some of you men, I want to shatter this crazy, distorted view of what it means to be a sold-out follower of Jesus filled with God's Holy Spirit. Somewhere along the way, you've gotten fooled in believing that it's something that you're not and you were created to be one. So I want to show you some of these. I will admit that this weekend, I'm starting with low-hanging fruit. I am. I'm starting with the obvious. Some of them won't be as obvious. I'll have to explain them to you. This one needs no explanation. About 45 seconds after the final gun had sounded this past week on the 2019 National Championship football game where football fans in America were shocked by the country whipping that the Clemson, I mean, Goliath got drilled by David and everyone who likes, like the underdog, was in shock. And 45 seconds after Davo Sweeney, the head coach of Clemson, had shaken the hand of Nick Saban, they come and they shoved the camera in his face I mean a, a, a microphone in his face and they put a camera on him and they asked him a question he didn't ha- ask he didn't expect to be asked and here's his response let's watch this Chris thank you very much Dabo there are a few coaches at any sport who show more joy than you do how do you describe the joy of the moment well that's, that's been my word all year and, and I, I just tried to have been in, I've tried to be intentional with that and uh for me personally, joy comes from focusing on Jesus, others, and yourself. And, uh, man, I mean, you know, very few people, there's so many great coaches that that are so deserving of a moment like this that never get the chance to experience it. And uh, to get to do it once and now to get to do it again, you know, I'm just, it's just a, it's a blessing. And, I, and I, it's just simply the grace of the good Lord to allow us to experience something like this. And, so here's the deal, man. If, if you're like a believer or you follow somebody who, who is a believer in Jesus, like they're a church-going folk, you've seen that because it's been tweeted all over the country. And I think it's great that it would encourage those of us who are believers. But he wasn't witnessing to us. I'm thinking about the guy who had finished his ninth beer about two minutes before the game was over, either despondent because his team had gotten drilled or amazed that the craziest thing ever could have come true. And he's sitting there looking at the screen, and all of a sudden, a coach with no preconceived 
I mean, he goes on and says some great things over the next four minutes, and you can tell that he's said some of these other things before, but with no preconceived moment, but because the power of the Holy Spirit was in him. I'm wondering about that half-inebriated atheist sitting on his couch who heard a guy say, number one, I sure am lucky that God would give me the grace to be in this spot. I got lots of good friends. I wish they could experience something like that because they're just as good of coaches as me. But my word for the year has been joy, and joy comes in Jesus, others, and then yourself. I wonder what ripples over the next 10 years that Davo Sweeney will ever know will come in the lives of men who heard him in his natural personality. It's something that was already inside him had to just flow out. And I know what you're thinking. Well, he'll never, you know, I'm, I'm never going to be a national championship coach. I'm never going to be on TV. I'm never going to have that kind of platform. Well, the platform you have is the very platform that God chose to give you. God's not calling you to be Dabo Sweeney on national TV. God's calling you in your unique personality as you lead your business, as you work in your yard in your neighborhood, in not preconceived, not some laminated card, but just in you that there's a moment because God loves you and the guy that works beside you, the guy that's mowing his yard beside you, God, he's going to orchestrate a moment where the Holy Spirit like dynamite is going to come upon you and you're going to say just the right word at just the right time so that person might come to know the saving power of Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate work of the Holy Spirit. So when we start going down all these trails of people flopping on the, on the ground, you know, like a bass outside of a pond or people getting healed by, Shat, by Peter's shadow and all this whack stuff we're going to see in this story that Spielberg couldn't think up, only God could do it. Let's not forget that the story is about that. It's about that. It's about heralding those of us who believe in God still drawing circles around people that nobody else draws circles around. It's that God, through his Holy Spirit, puts us in a place where we don't think we have to do things that only God does. We just got to be his witnesses. And then Luke finishes, and as the credits begin to roll, he finishes with this interesting little verse. He says, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. And all of this has happened, and Jesus begins to be physically raised. And we just want to get to the next part of the story until we realize that in the context of the days in which Luke is telling Theophilus this story, that among any Roman emperor, Caesar, that dies, that immediately to the tradition is the story begins to circulate that somebody saw his soul come out of his body and start rising into the heavens. In fact, I stood, my wife and I stood in the forum in Rome under the column of the, called the column of the Titus. It was after the leader of the 
free world at that time, Titus, when he died, it's a picture of his soul leaving his body and going up to heaven. You know why they did that? You know how that was the story? So they could call their kids sons of God. Well, why would they want to call their kids sons of God? It's really handy when you're saying, hey, you're, he's in line succession to take over my seat in the government. Well, of course he is. He's a son of a God. We saw his soul come out and go to heaven. And Luke is saying to Theophilus and to us something very interesting. That that was all parody and Jesus is the reality. His soul doesn't come out of him and ascend into heaven. He ascends in bodily form. Because he wants us to understand this. Longtime believer, new believer. Atheist, agnostic, don't give a rip, potato chip. Wherever you find yourself on the spectrum, no matter what you believe about anything in the Bible, it all hinges on, did Jesus die and was he raised from the dead? The resurrection of Jesus has to be dealt with. I mean, I wish I had time this day, I don't, to talk about the, argue, the debates I've had through the years with people about how, well, I don't think he was really resurrected. That was a myth. Oh, really? Why would 11 guys who were running from the authority six months before, six weeks before, now willing to say, oh, we don't care if you kill us. We know it happened. Why would they sign up for that? Why would Luke make sure in meticulous detail we knew that there were hundreds, if not thousands of people who had seen the risen, resurrected body of Jesus? I'll tell you why. Because you can find the power of the Holy Spirit that can only be experienced through a certainty in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. And I'll show God give you a better life. Because if it's all just a myth, if it's all just a cool story and we're just waiting for the next season, the next show, and what's the next thing to binge on, then who really cares? But if the resurrection really happened, it means everything Jesus said is true. It means the Holy Spirit is not a concept or an idea, but it is a person that is available like dynamite to each one of us to transform us into something we could never become on our own. It means that Jesus is still including, drawing circles in places where everybody else is drawing lines. And it means there's hope for you and for me. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. And I'm going to say this because I love you. And if you're watching somewhere else, you're not a part of our family, you can turn it off. But look at me. If the resurrection is real, how can you dare to live? Like it never happened. How can you settle for anything less than a spirit-infused, radical commitment to Jesus Christ? Now, some of you know me forever, man. I'm just, I'm just calling you out and telling you how it is. I mean, if the resurrection really happened, how can you go on business as usual? How can your life be all about you? I mean, if you, you want to just go there, how could you continue to sin so that grace may abound? Like rationalize away destructive behaviors in your life. How could you not surrender to the power that's available to you in the person of Jesus? 
How could you let your shame be used as an excuse for you to be stuck for years? If the resurrection is true, everything Jesus said about you is true. You hold within you the potential of the kingdom of God. You are fully accepted, fully loved. Your relationship with him is based on his faithfulness, not yours. It's based on his goodness, not yours. There is more to life than the nine to five. It's about giving yourself to a movement that's bigger and deeper and richer than you. It's about radically committing to being a part of God's plan that his kingdom would come and his will would be done. It's refusing to hate, refusing to judge, refusing to divide, but loving people and starting to love yourself. You've got to decide. The story is yet to be written. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you in Jesus' name for the powerful reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a bunch of stuff in the Bible, I'm just saying, Lord, that I may not be sure about. I'm sure about that. Lord, I'm grateful for the hope that brings that I don't have to settle for less than your best in my life. That I can believe that my best days are ahead of me, that you're not through working in me, that th- th- this is, that you're a king worth committing my life to. <laughs> and I'm grateful for the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit that's available to me to, to shape and fashion me into something that is much more than I could ever become on my own. And I'm grateful that this week you're going to teach each one of us just how to be aware of the person of the Holy Spirit. That like the disciples, that the call is just to wait and hear and sense from you before we move. And I thank you for it, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.